At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Thank you for leading us in a a set that was so beautifully comprised of things that lead right into our word this morning. Coming right up to this point where we see it's so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. So sweet to learn to trust him. And that's what this series has been helping us understand. The series, Thy Kingdom Come, that we're in, in Mark, it's been asking us to make a decision about who Jesus is in our lives based on what he's done, based on who he is as the Son of God, asking us, where does he fall in your list of priorities? I'm Bill. I'm one of the elders here at the campus. I'm part of the teaching team. I just want to say welcome this morning. I hope you're at least half as excited as I am to dig into the Word this morning. Really looking forward to this time. In our scripture this morning, we're in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. It's a very familiar text probably to a lot of you. That's because this parable that Jesus spoke is in all of the synoptic gospels. You may have seen it in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And it's very unique in that it's one of the only parables where Jesus teaches the crowd in parable, but then takes the disciples aside afterwards and gives an interpretation to them that we can learn from as well, the actual meaning of the parable. So a question for you. Do we have gardeners in our midst? Okay, all right, yep, definitely. And it was kind of a rhetorical question, just as much as we're a boating community, I think we are a gardening community. I only say that because I've been to the Chalufo's house, I've been to the Bolax house, see the beautiful flower gardens. We were at the Geis last night, they have a wonderful garden that produces all kinds of vegetables for them. My in-laws, the Pettingers, they have gardens and rows and rows of canned goods as a result of that bountiful gardens and We have a garden, too, at our house, and that garden has fought us a little bit, might say. We just decided when we moved in, here's where we're going to put this garden. We went and borrowed the big farm tractor with the plow, and we sunk it in, and we turned over the soil. I say soil because about this, maybe maybe about that much was topsoil, and the rest was clay. Maybe you can relate to that. And we turned it over and let it dry, and then we mounted the tiller on the back of the tractor and tilled up all that clay and a little bit of topsoil, and then we just went to planting. And clay will really fight you on giving you a yield. And we fought with that for years, but then some neighbors came over and said, why don't you borrow our trailer and go to the township compost lot where all the compost is and get a couple of trailer loads and bring it and dump it in. So we did that, backed this big dump trailer up and dumped yards and yards of compost in, and we tilled that in over the course of a few years, and now it's this beautiful black soil. And it doesn't fight us anymore. The plants thrive in that black soil. And today we're going to look at the parable of the sower. 
And as we read this parable, you'll see that it's not so much about the skill or the failure or the success in the actual sowing of the seed, but it's about the condition of the soil that receives the seed. There's no mention of failure on account of the sower when there's bad soil. It's all about the condition of the soil where the seed lands. And it's a little bit of a warning to those who do not respond in genuine faith to the word of Jesus. But by this point in Jesus' ministry, he had preached and taught a great many people. And some of them, like Pastor Dan preached last week, like the scribes in the tabernacle, they had outright rejected his word. And that rejection was an indicator of the condition of their hearts, the condition of the soil of their hearts. And this parable is going to break down the four different types of soil that are present. It's going to help us understand that Jesus' reign is accomplished by how we respond to his word. And as we work through the text this morning, I'd ask you and challenge you to listen. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you as he asks you, what is your heart toward Jesus' word? So let's quiet our hearts. Let's ask the text to speak to us this morning to find out what kind of soil our heart is made up of. You know, Mark records this parable very uniquely. It's two separate parts. First is a portion where he speaks, Jesus speaks to the people, and then there's a portion where he takes his disciples aside privately and gives them an interpretation. So we're going to read this in a nonlinear fashion, meaning we're going to grab a couple verses here, and then we're going to jump over and grab the verse of interpretation and work together. I'm going to do it kind of off-road fashion. And I say that to challenge you to have your Bible ready. The poor tech team this morning when I came in, we had all of the scripture already done. I said, guys, you're going to have to follow along as best you can because we're going all over the place. So I hope you have your Bible with you. The words on the screen are going to be pretty much linear. Just follow along. And if you need a Bible, they're right outside on the table. You can grab one. It gives you something to write in, make notes, highlight. Maybe you have your device with you. But I hope you can follow along. So let's go to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4 as Jesus teaches this parable. And then we're going to skip to verse 15 to read some interpretation. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was listening to and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Let's skip to verse 14. 14, I'm sorry, 15. Jesus says in his interpretation, These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. We'll see in these opening verses here that Jesus has had a little bit of a change of venue. He's still in Capernaum, which if you know is his home base of sorts during his ministry out in the public. He used Capernaum as kind of the home location as he went out and did his preaching and teaching. Last week we saw that he was in the tabernacle where he was likely teaching devout Jews and the scribes. We saw he was there, but now we see that he's out in the open. He's down by the Sea of Galilee, not too far from the tabernacle, but he's got a great diverse crowd around him. The Bible says in chapter 3, it says the people from Tyre and Sidon 
and Idumea, or people from far and wide across the kingdom, were there. They wanted to hear from Jesus, and they were pressing into him. And likely in this crowd were also those scribes and Pharisees that he had just greatly offended in the tabernacle. And now we see him standing at the water's edge on the Sea of Galilee with this large crowd of people pressing into him, backing him up into the water so much that the disciples put him in a boat and set him out a little bit so that he can teach and not be crushed by this crowd. And it gives us kind of an amphitheater look of people arrayed around the coastline and Jesus is in the water on this boat teaching to them. And in his normal type of teaching, he's going to use very familiar language for them. This is a parable. It's going to be very familiar. He uses agrarian language to teach them something in words that they will understand so they can actually believe and follow him. And the parable here is structurally simple. What he's doing is he's showing, painting a picture of people who are inside his circle of faith and people who might think they're inside but actually aren't. And in an effort to bring the people who aren't inside this circle of faith, he starts out in verse 3 with a very emphatic sentence. It's a one-word sentence. You see it there? One word with an exclamation point. It says, listen. You almost get the feeling that the crowd just goes silent. What's he going to say? And he starts out with, behold. Here is something that you will understand. Behold, that that area had farm fields all around. He might have even been pointing. We don't know. The text doesn't say this, but it could have been, look up there. A sower goes out to sow seed. And at this time, that crowd knew that planting was done by just a general broadcast of seed. It wasn't like the commercial farms that we have today with nice, neat rows or the gardens that we might have with little sticks at the end with a picture of what was planted in a nice little neat row. It wasn't like that. The farmer went out seeds from a satchel and dispersed them. And as he did them, inevitably some would land on bad soil. And the first one is a hard-packed soil. And then in verse 15, Jesus gives us an interpretation of what that means, that hard-packed soil that was between fields, likely carts and animals and foot traffic had pressed that soil down to be very hard. And it represents those that hear the word but have a hard heart. Similar to this well-worn path between these Palestinian fields, the word can't take root in this heart because it's hardened. And as a result, the seed of faith bounces off and gets snatched away. See, a person with a hard heart can't respond to the word. Aside from a work of God, they're closed off from the truth of the word. The prophet Zechariah speaks the words of God in judgment to a wayward Israel in the book of Zechariah chapter 7. He says, and listen to this, he says of their hearts, their hearts are diamond hard. How's that for a picture? Some translations say hard as flint, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit. They're unable to hear the words of God. The prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, 26, says similarly of the people of Israel while they're still in Babylonian captivity, helps us understand the solution to this hard heart. Hear what Ezekiel says, the word of God. He says, God says through Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The only solution to a hard heart is a work of God by his spirit in your life. 
And if you're sitting here in church, we're asking the question, could this be my heart? This likely isn't your heart. If you're here and you're actively seeking to learn more about Jesus, this probably isn't the condition of your heart. But we know people like this, don't we? I have a person at work who I've shared Jesus with several times, and the, the, the response that I get back is this. That's it. Talk about Jesus. Talk about how much he loves you when I get. Not even the response, just the face. And as Ezekiel said, a major change is required for this heart to be receptive. They need a plowing work of the Holy Spirit to break up that compacted soil so that the word of God can take root and bring life. So today, if you know that person, like I do, and likely you do, if you've shared Jesus with that person, take time and pray for that person. A supernaturally applied heart transplant is required for them to be receptive to the good news of Jesus and for it to be effective in their lives. And while that first soil is impenetrable because of a hardness of heart, the second isn't much better. Let's take a look at the second heart together, verses 5 through 6. Jesus said to the crowd, Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. We'll go down to verse 16 and hear Jesus' interpretation later. He said, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So again, the sower is out doing his job. He's casting the seed but some of the seed again lands on poor soil. While it initially sprouts and it looks like good things may happen, it doesn't take long before it withers and it dies. It has no root in those rocks, so there's no life-giving moisture, and it gets scorched and it dies. If we look at the interpretation of verse 16 and 17, Jesus tells us that rocky soil is the shallow heart. People who receive the word with joy initially and there's a hint of growth or a sprout of spiritual life, but the seed can't take root. Being thrown in the rocks, the seed is exposed to the sun's rays and no access to moisture. Because sometimes people can make this great profession of faith. Right? They're on fire for God. We've seen it before. Everybody's excited about this new life in Christ, but when the high noon sun of tribulations come, of trials, of persecution. It's absolutely devastating on that seed of faith in their heart. Because when finances fail, when that medical diagnosis is bleak, when a family member passes away suddenly, when our faith is ridiculed, the seed of faith within us is exposed to the heat of the sun. And the make it or break it in this scenario is the quality of the soil that the seed is in. So the question is, will trials combined with shallow soil cause your faith to burn up? Or will those trials with the seed in good soil 
Allow your faith to grow through them. Because the sun, it's life-giving to a plant. That seed and the soil need the heat of the sun to grow. But if they're shallow soil, that same sun is devastating. And it kills the seed. The Apostle Peter explains it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When we are tested by fire, church, whatever form that test, that tribulation comes in, Jesus said it is going to come. A shallow soiled heart causes our faith to fail. But a true, converted, regenerate heart by the Holy Spirit causes us to grow exponentially because of that heat. And that's the change that brings glory to God. The big difference is that the rocky soil hears that word intellectually or hears that word emotionally, though not truly a follower of Jesus. And that sounds like kind of a harsh statement a little bit, doesn't it? But the word says it. And I think I'm uniquely qualified to say that because that was my heart. Maybe some of you can identify with me as well. It's going through the motions of church out of a sense of obligation or a sense of duty, layered in with a lot of legalism. It was a startling day when I realized that my faith was about a half inch deep, like that topsoil of our garden. I had no real desire for time in the Word. I spent very little time in prayer. There was not even an inkling of discipleship in my life. I'm so thankful that the Spirit stepped in and intervened and changed that course. But does this text, does this scripture, does it describe your heart? If so, you don't have to stay there. You can pray toward change. Engage in a discipling relationship with another believer. Allow them to pour into you the truth of God. Join a Bible study. Join one of our life groups. They'll cultivate that shallow heart and help you grow more in Christ. When you just don't feel like it. So let's be honest. There's a lot of times when you just don't feel like doing those things. Pray against the trickery of that shallow heart. Jeremiah says, our hearts are deceitful above all things, so don't trust them. Even when they say this isn't something I want to do, pray against that shallow heart. Take a shallow heart like that to God in prayer. Ask him to change it. Ask him to be glorified through that, and he will honor that request. So that's two types of soil. That's a hard heart. That's a shallow heart. We're not out of bad soil country yet. Let's look at verse 7 for the ter- third type of soil that the seed can't grow in. Verses 7, and then we'll go into 18 and 19. Verse 7 says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And others, Jesus says to his disciples after, and others are the ones thrown among thorns. They are those that hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, 
and it proves unfruitful. Man, bad soil again. This seed isn't going to make it either. It's similar to the rocky soil in that the only thing that flourishes here are weeds and thorns. While this seed looks like a fighter, again, we get an initial growth. It's eventually choked out because of the thorns that are growing all around it. And Jesus explains to us in verses 18 and 19 that these are the soils that hear the word, but their faith is choked out by the cares of this world, by the riches that this world can offer. They seemingly accept the word again emotionally or intellectually, but the world and the stuff that this world offers is too much. There's a parallel passage in Luke. Like I said, this, this parable is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the parallel passage in Luke lets us know that there's even initial fruit from this soil. The plant grows and starts to bear fruit, but the fruit is choked out and doesn't come to maturity because the person who started focused on Christ has turned their gaze to the world. And the things of this world aren't necessarily evil. It's the priority that we give them in our lives. It's if they cause us to put Jesus at second place when they begin to become a problem and when we can categorize them as thorns. You know, we're in the blue water area here. Lots of beautiful blue water, so it fits that we could use fishing as an example, boating as an example, Boating and fishing aren't evil. They're not bad at all. But if they pull your focus off of Jesus, thorns. Focusing on your hobbies. We all do lots of great things in our spare time. We focus on our hobbies. Maybe sometimes we sleep in on a Sunday morning. Those things aren't evil in and among themselves. But if they pull you away from church and away from community, they consume a spot in your life that rightfully belongs to Christ. They're thorns. We love to invest in our children. We love to go to sporting events with our kids. Right? Travel ball sometimes comes up. We love to invest time with our kids in practice and making sure they can hit and pitch and catch and and slap shot and set at the net just as best they possibly can. But if that's taking time away from you, discipling that young heart toward Jesus, kids' travel ball that is not an evil thing takes the place of Christ and discipling that kid in your life. It's thorns. And it's not that the things of this world are a problem. It's the priority that we give them over Jesus in our lives. This portion of the parable reminds me of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. It's a sensitive question, but it needs to be asked. Is this your heart this morning? Have you been pulled away by the things of this world? Are you giving something in your life priority that should belong to Jesus? Or have you seen a relative do that? A relative fall away because they've reprioritized their life and allow something to push Jesus off to the side. The thorns of distraction will choke out the word of God in a person's life. So the Bible's asking us, is the soil of your heart covered in thorns? Are you trying to love two masters? 
Are you trying to love God and stuff at the same time? And Jesus is telling us that this is not possible. So I beg you, if this is your heart, heed the words of Jesus here and repent of making those things gods in your life. Repent and pray for a better focused heart, one that focuses more on Christ. That's the only way to put these worldly temptations into their proper place. And as we've looked at these soils, have you noticed a trend with me? Two of the three soils that fail to produce fruit show that people can make emotional decisions, they can make intellectual decisions, and yet their spiritual walk can still flounder. This drives the point of our teaching that the only conversion that counts as the kingdom is the one that produces fruit. The one that is discipled to maturity and produces fruit and growth. The Bible tells us that this is very much immeasurable in your life. True conversion equals fruit. So a failure to produce fruit in your life means that there's something wrong with the soil. Jesus said, the one who remains in me and I in him will produce much fruit. Because God didn't call us to make decisions for Christ. He didn't call us to make cheap decisions. What he called us to is to make disciples of Christ. We're so trained to mark success in the church by a number of decisions made that we fail to see that true success is measured by converts who are discipled to maturity, who therefore make converts and bring fruit to the glory of God. So before we proceed to the final soil, let's take a little bit of an interlude here to look at the portion of the parable that's between Jesus speaking to the crowd and his speaking to his disciples. We're going to look at verses 10, 11, and 12 this morning. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So what we read here is that the crowd are not true followers. They see physically, they hear physically, but they're missing the point spiritually. And this drives our teaching here that the God-ordained process of preparing the soil is a requirement here. If their soil was good, they would hear spiritually, and they would respond with action what Jesus is saying here as he reads this, he's echoing the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah as they spoke again of a wayward Israel. They're saying they have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. And for those Israelites to follow Yahweh and for us to follow Jesus Christ, the Lord has to change our heart. So now in the final soil, let's take a look together at a truly changed heart, one where the Lord stepped in through his spirit created a true convert. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 and then 20 together. And Jesus said to the crowd, And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And his interpretation in verse 20 is, Those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, 
and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So finally, after three disappointments, we finally see good soil. This is a fertile heart. In this soil, the seed was able to grow exponentially and increase and come to a harvest of a hundredfold. And that's significant because in that day, a good harvest was 10 to 15 fold. So what we see here is God's hand in the harvest. Just like we read in Genesis that Isaac's field yielded a hundredfold harvest, showing a supernatural blessing of God. This is what good fertile soil does. It magnifies the glory of God whose hand is evident in the process. Because without God, without that work of the Spirit, the heart would not be good soil. This soil is the heart that hears the word, accepts it, and bears fruit. That's what Jesus said. The seed doesn't bounce off the surface because it's too hard. It doesn't flourish momentarily and then shrink away because of the heat of adversity. It's not distracted by the competing desires of this world. It's a heart soil that allows the word of God to take deep root. And then it produced a harvest, much like the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. It engages in the good works that were prepared for us that we read of in Ephesians chapter 2. And as Jesus talks about the good soil, if you look at verse 9 again, he says, He who has ears, let him hear. He's referencing the Shema. as the Jewish prayer, the cornerstone of their morning and evening prayer. We read about it in Deuteronomy 6. It starts in verse 4. And this... Israelite audience would have really understood this. That prayer says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Then in verse 5, there's a famous passage that says, Love the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might. The Hebrew word that is translated as hear, that's what this is all about, hearing the word of God. It's also, it, it means listen and take heed and don't just hear but respond with action. So as Jesus is speaking to this Jewish crowd, what he's saying is, you have heard my teaching, now go out and do it. He wants us to be, as James records, doers of his word and not hearers only. So we've heard his word this morning. What does it look like to be a doer? At the risk of sounding legalistic, it, it, it sounds and looks a lot like reading the word of God for yourself making that a priority, engaging in a pattern of prayer for your life, getting involved with other believers in community and reinforcing the word with each other. Even when the thorns of this life say, this isn't fun, this other stuff's fun, bring that to God, he will change your heart. But you know what else a fruitful heart sounds like? It sounds a lot like what Jesus said if we go back to verse 3 in the very beginning. A fruitful heart sounds like the words of Jesus, Behold, a sower went out to sow. At this point in the redemptive timeline, from Genesis to Revelation, Jesus was the sower. And he had just sent his disciples out on his behalf to teach the words. So he was leaning into them saying, You are the sowers now. You're going to encounter these types of soil along the way. But now... In the church age where we are, you and I are the sowers. We are the sowers of the word. 
we can joyfully sow the word of God and we don't have to worry about the results. If you read on in chapter 4, it says that the sower doesn't control the growth of the plant. We don't have to worry about the condition of the soil that it lands on. We can just take that seed that Jesus has provided and sow it to our community. It's a beautiful and important task. So go out into the world, church, and sow the seed. Scatter the seed of a God who saw his people lost in sin and created a way through his son to reunite creation to himself. Reached into that, that seed that you have and dispense it. And as you do it, speak of a God who became human and lived among us and lived a sinless life and was willing to suffer and die on our behalf. Scatter the seed joyfully that that Savior didn't stay dead, that he rose again, that he ascended to the Father and he's seated at his right hand in glory today, interceding for us every day. When we fall short, when we mess up, he can say, my grace is sufficient for them. So go out into this world and scatter seed, telling people that faith alone is all that is necessary to lay hold of Jesus, to attain salvation in him through simple faith and pitch that seed of eternal joy in Jesus, telling people of heaven with him, but not just heaven with him, the power to live on this earth in a way that honors Christ because his spirit lives within us. So we have that seed. Jesus has provided it. So be bold. Step out. Like verse 3 says, a sower went out to sow because the world desperately needs to hear. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've entrusted to us such an important task of sharing your gospel with a world that desperately needs to hear. We're thankful that you've given us a view into the types of soils, the types of hearts that exist. Lord, we pray for those with a hard heart this morning that you would intercede, that you would soften, that a new heart would be in place of a heart of stone that could be receptive to your word. We pray for those who are going through trials and tribulations with a heart of shallow soil who feel burned up, Lord. We pray that you would give them deeper roots to glorify you as they make their way through these trials. Lord, we pray for those who are distracted. The things of this world that are all around them, while not necessarily evil, are such a distraction, and we pray that they would prioritize you above all of those things. And God, we thank you for those of us who believe and who follow you, and we pray for boldness as we go out and declare you to a lost and dying world. Help us to look past the persecution and to see the truth that people need to know. We're so thankful for that this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.